Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks at Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast, and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. I am your host, Tom Salemi. I'm also editorial director at Device Talks. Thanks for joining us today. We have a great interview with Brett Wall. Brett is an executive vice president at Medtronic. He's part of the, the senior leadership team. He also leads up the neuroscience portfolio. He's president of that group. We talked a great deal about Brett's work in the medtech industry. He's been part of companies, both large and small, and he's been a participant of acquisitions and consolidations and reorganizations, including the one that's been ongoing at Medtronic. Brett's been one of the uh, one of the folks leading the way. So we'll talk about how you work hard to ensure that acquisitions go well. Brett was part of uh, Covidian when it was acquired by Medtronic a few years ago. And uh, prior to that, he was part of EV3, which had been been then acquired by Covidian. So Brett has uh, has been through different parts of reorganizations and uh, brings some great insights on that. We'll also talk about where Medtronic is headed going forward and, and how they're once again working to uh, instill a, a new mindset at the company. So great to talk with Brett. He brings a lot of energy and insight to the conversation. And before we start our interview with Brett Wall, I'd like to bring in this episode's sponsor, Chamfer. I'm here with one of its co-founders, Katie Karmalek. Katie, tell us about Chamfer. Sure. If you think about polymer and metal tubing, night and all components, electrodes, balloons, these are examples of components that engineers need quick access to when working on their medical device development projects. That's where Chamfer comes in. You can think of us as the Amazon specifically developed for medical device components. With over 2,000 parts from 25 different suppliers, such as Johnson Nathy, Integer, and Teleflex, Chamfer helps design engineers launch their products faster by being able to iterate without long lead times and high-cost minimum orders. Being able to search among thousands of in-stock components and purchase with a click of a button is why R&D engineers at Medtronic and other medical device companies use Chamfer as their first spot to source components today. We'll hear more from Katie Karmaluk a little later in the podcast. If you'd like to find out some more about Chamfer, go to chamfr.com. Well, Brett Wall, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. It's great to have you here. Lots of changes going on at Medtronic. I know we're going to talk about some of the uh, the efforts that have gone into to reorganization, but as always, uh, we'd like to start these conversations Learning a little bit about our guests, what was your uh, what was your path in into medtech? What were you uh, looking for by joining this industry? Well, it's a long time ago, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I say a long time ago, but uh, you know, I started in sales, and quite frankly, it was accidental how I uh, got here. Oh, really? Yeah, and it, you know, I, I I would like to say I had this plan, you know, for the university, but it I, w- I went to work for Coca Cola, and what happened is they sold our unit. 
are uh, are 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 part of the business. And you know, the new owners uh, were going a different direction. And somebody called me and said that there was a medical device job out there, and I should consider that. And I interviewed and kind of discovered as I interviewed that I had a real passion for this. It, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, my mother had been involved as a x-ray technologist for years and all these other things. And so as I got into it, I thought, well, that's that's a job I can get passionate about and go do. And so I started in sales for a company called Bard, which is now owned by Beckton Dickinson. Sure. And moved through a variety of different positions and then joined a startup. And that startup ultimately was acquired by Covidian and then Medtronic. So that's uh, that's how I got here. That's amazing. Uh, so Coca-Cola, huh? That would have been uh, an interesting, <laughs> quite a different path. Well, well, you kind of realize when you get into the medical tech, technical world or med tech in general, that the world doesn't need another sugary soft drink, you know, maybe <laughs> as bad as the executives might think they need one. I was in the coffee business, but still, you probably don't need that either. <laughs> what we're doing is actually uh, amazing and beneficial for the planet. And that's, that's what was uh, exciting for me. That's fantastic. I do need coffee, so I'll, I'll take exception yeah. to that. <laughs> but yeah. the world is, world has enough. You're right. Let's then talk about uh, how you 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 found your way to Covidian. The company was acquired. What was the company you were with the startup that you mentioned? Well, well, I was with EV3. Prior to that, it was a company called MTI. Mm-hmm. And when EV3 got started by you know Dale Spencer, Stacey Ensing, saying he mentioned was employee number one, they were looking at some other spaces. And I had already joined the startup called Microtherapeutics, which was in Southern California. And it, we were looking at neurovascular. But what happened is those companies kind of joined together. We had a private equity funder that we, we put those companies together and that became kind of EV3. And, mm-hmm. and uh, EV3 then got acquired by uh, Covidian. And you know, it was interesting, Dale Spencer, uh, who you probably know from, sure. uh, he's passed away now, but uh, Dale was always gave great advice. I called him up after Covidian bought us and I thought Dale was going to say, great job, go do another one. Of course, that wouldn't be Dale Spencer. What Dale said to me was, what you should do is you should make this the best acquisition Covidian's ever made and you should stick around and help all the other people that made you successful have great careers in this hmm. new company. And so I took his advice and that's how I, uh, you know, ended up staying at Covidian and running the neurovascular business. And, and, uh, that, that's, that's why I stayed on. That's interesting. Yeah. And Warburg Pincus was the, the investor of EV3, right? They were. Correctly? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Do you understand and do you still feel the, the allure of, of a startup? Does it, does it bring some energy that a larger company doesn't, or do they bring different types of, of positive feelings? What's, what are the two experiences like? I, I think it's a different kind of energy, but I think what was always intriguing to me, if you could combine the two, mm-hmm. well, one of the things I learned at the startup was that the wolves were at the door every day, Yeah, sure. you know, from the standpoint of the, your, your, your survival, it was existential. And so you had to make decisions. You had to take actions that were going to differentiate your company. And those things were really intriguing and exciting to me. And then what was exciting to me about the larger company, because at the time we were acquired by Covidian, we were looking straight down at the stroke opportunity. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, we had the opportunity to do there was to invest in the trials. Now, we had to make a lot of trade-offs to go do that, but we could invest the $25 million it took uh, to run these clinical trials uh, that actually proved that doing uh, you know, th- thrombectomy for stroke actually works. And we were able to get that done and get those papers published in the New England Journal with our uh, our partners. So the intriguing part to me was take all the, the idea that if you don't make the, the right kind of decisions, you might cease to exist. So take that mm-hmm. and then kind of marry it with the resources that you could have. 
and then put those two things together and, and make it work. And that was the exciting part of it because stroke was burning a hole in us. And we had to, we, we couldn't do anything other than think about that. And we had the opportunity at that time then to go after that. And that to me was the fun part. That, that was thrilling. If you can put those two things together, you know, that's great. And the last thing I'll say about that, Tom, you know, it's so funny, you know, when you're at a large company like this, everyone talks about resources and they think money's the problem. Money's not the problem. We, we have the money we need to make the right investments. What no one has is time. Mm-hmm. You can't buy time. I can't bank it. I can't save it for later. I can't, you know, stop the world from moving forward while we figure it out. Time's the resource. So if you can figure that out, choose wisely what to spend your time on. A company like Medtronic, we have the resources then to go after those opportunities. And if you're not getting funded, the idea is probably not that good. That's <laughs> you know, how that's I look that, at it. That, that's, a, that's a good lesson. I do just want to back up to... Dale Spencer's advice about Covidian. What did you do personally to make sure that was such a great investment for Covidian? How do you, how do you impact an organization that large and, and ensure that something this big is is moving in a in a positive fashion? Sure, sure. I, I think one of the things you have to do is decide, you know, what market, what opportunity you're going to choose and go after, and then you have to do everything in your power to execute against that. And what we were was a fast-growing asset within the Covidian universe, and we found ways that we could grow faster. One of them was stroke. By investing in that, we would unlock a market opportunity to be able to go do that. And I think you can never lose sight of. First of all, they acquired the company. I think what sometimes people do is you, you run this romanticized version of, well, when we were small, we were like this. And this was so great when we were small. Parts of it were great when we were small. Parts of it were not great. I think you have to kind of know the difference. Respect the fact that you've been acquired. And then you make your value proposition to the organization of what you're going to do within the larger organization to drive value so they get the full value that they frankly paid for. Mm-hmm. What our ability was at that point is we were in a fast growing market. We made some good bets. We had a few more bets that we wanted to make that we thought would be good ones. Some of those paid off, some of them didn't. But what we were able to drive was very significant double digit growth year in and year out for a decade. If you commit to that, not only commit to that, but then commit to I'm going to make it work in the new structure. Mm-hmm. And part of making it work in the new structure is letting go of the old one. So one of the first things I did, which was very symbolic when Covidian bought us, is I went to the facility I was in charge of in Southern California, and I ordered the signs removed immediately. And I had the Covidian sign put up. We did the same thing with Medtronic. Uh, we trained everyone answering the phone. This is no longer EV3. This is Covidian. Mm-hmm. We changed all of that as rapidly as we could. And not that that would change the culture of the company or doing that stuff, but it was a symbolic thing that, uh, okay, you know what? This was a great experience. We should treasure that. We're moving forward. And one thing I heard once a long time ago is when you're driving, don't look in the rearview mirror because it's pretty small and you, all you see what happened in the past. Look out the window. It's much larger and you, know, you can see the future and you can see you know what's, what's out there for you. And I think if you do that, you kind of embrace that. Mm-hmm. It won't be for everybody and not everyone will take that journey with you, but the company will survive. And more importantly, it'll thrive. I wanted that business to thrive and go on you know, after it was acquired. I didn't want it to be something that was acquired and that you know, kind of collapsed under the sure. weight of the acquisition. That that was really important to me. The results have shown. It's a billion-dollar business today. It's doubled, more than doubled in size uh, since Medtronic took it over. It doubled in size after Covidian took it over. That's been a successful transaction for each of these parties. That's great. Now seems like a good time to sort of talk about 
where looking at let's look out the windshield and see where where Medtronic is headed and the changes you're making. We'll take a quick break from this conversation with Brett Wall to hear once again from our sponsor, Chamfer. I'm speaking with Katie Carmelik, one of the co-founders. Katie, share some of the advantages of Chamfer. Chamfer offers a few things that other online stores don't. For one, we're a one-stop shop with thousands of components, with dozens of sellers all in one spot and with one checkout experience. Everything is in stock and ships within 24 to 48 hours. We have more components, more sellers, all in one shopping experience, and that's the biggest difference than any other single e-commerce store from others in the industry. We also really value transparency. So on Chamfer, you always know who you're buying from. When it's time to source that long-term supply, you know exactly where to go and be confident that you have the material traceability for your DHF. And lastly, we're really focused on the diversity and breadth of our product offering. We're not a single company trying to push out our products. Our entire goal is to consolidate all of the items an engineer may find in one place. Our online store showcases dozens of companies' products, which ultimately give engineers the most diverse selection to choose from. And it's because it's a marketplace that it's all in one place versus going to 25 different online stores. Most R&D engineers start with Chamfer, and then when they can't find what they're looking for, then they go out and start searching other places. So if I'm understanding you correctly, Kitty, you're helping to connect buyers and sellers with your online store or, or marketplace? Yes, that's correct. We facilitate the online order between the buyers and the sellers. Each seller on our site has in-stock inventory and ships from their facility to maintain quality control. All sellers are also ISO certified and include CFCs in every shipment. And I know you have a diverse offering. What types of components do you sell? Are there specific markets that you're targeting? Absolutely, Tom. You know, using Chamfer, engineers and supply chain professionals can quickly source a range of sizes and materials for any medical device application. We strive to sell the most diversified offering of components, ranging from small diameter microcatheter-sized extrusions and mandrels, which serve the neurovascular market, to large metal tubing for the orthopedic space, and even some more complex components, such as electrodes for brain stimulation or laser-cut hypotubes for advanced catheter shaft development. These are just a few examples of the wide range of components and applications we support today. And we have only just begun to scratch the surface, improving accessibility of so many impressive component technologies. And finally, I'd love to hear, what are some of the recent industry trends that you're seeing? And uh, how does that impact or influence Chamfer in the future? In a way, we got lucky with building Chamfer when we did, because digital supply chains are the future. While some are starting to get back into their pre-pandemic routines, there's one clear aspect of life that is re-emerging differently. Digital is more important now than ever. Regardless of where you live in the world or what industry you're in, your life has in some way centered around digital over the last year. It's how we've shopped, stayed connected to friends and family, and done our jobs. Our future direction is based on the same principles as our initial foundation getting engineers quicker access to products to speed product development. Our technology roadmap supports this by focusing on streamlining the buyer's workflow and simplifying the purchasing journey. People expect the Amazon experience across all of their digital engagements, and we plan to give them just that and more. Well, it was great to hear from Katie Carmelik. It's great to have Chamfer as a sponsor of this episode of Medtronic Talks. For more information, go to chamfer.com. That's C-H-A-M-F-R.com. Now let's get back into our conversation with Brett Wall. 
now seems like a good time to sort of talk about where looking at let's look out the windshield and see where where Medtronic is headed and the changes you're making. Uh, you joined in, in with the acquisition in, in 2014. You've been part of the the leadership under Omar. Now Jeff's in charge, and you've got the sort of I feel like this is sort of the 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 next chapter that that. Medtronic is taking after the Covidian acquisition. You need a few years to digest that. Now you're moving forward. So yeah. talk a bit about how you're helping through this reorganization. And, and I know a big part of it is for Medtronic to get a feeling of, of a startup, be innovative, be bold, be, be competitive. And those are great terms to use. But how do you infuse that in an organization that, that has resources? Because I do feel that sometimes a lot of that hunger and a lot of that uh, creativity comes from a lack, a sense of lack, like this, we need to find a new way to do the, this. Yeah. You don't have to find a new yeah. way to do this. How do you get people to do this? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. Because I think one of the largest issues is if you're going to kind of continue on and you don't have the kind of threat of, uh, you know, imminent non-existence, <laughs> which, <a lot laughs> exactly. times, which a lot of times you have as a startup <laughs> company. Okay. That's hard. It's, it's yeah. kind of like when you have children and you've been very financially successful, how do you, you know, give them a window, you know, yeah, on, on what it takes to, sure. yeah, yeah, to do, to do well. I got two pieces of advice when I took this role. I'd worked for Jeff when Jeff was effectively in this job, you know, running RTG. And I got to know Omar pretty well through that process because when I joined, uh, I got to know him. When Jeff elevated CEO and I took Jeff's role, I got two pieces of advice. It was from two different people. So Omar gave me the first piece of advice, which I thought was pretty good. He said, remember, you're not any smarter today than you were yesterday. You know, and and, and one could argue you're less smart because you now have more businesses that you're you know, responsible for that you know less about. So you're more dangerous, maybe, in, in, in some ways at, at, at the less stable. I thought That's that was great. good advice. Uh, the second advice, Jeff told me, don't forget what you disliked about the corporation when you were running the business. So don't perpetuate, you know, mm -hmm. what you found troubling. And, and, and those two pieces of advice I thought really set the stage for how I wanted to come in and operate, you know, my, my role and, and, and run the businesses. And so when we looked at this change, and, you know, Jeff did it in the middle of the pandemic. You know, we uh, no, no time to, you know, make a change when you're in the midst of a crisis, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a good utilization of the time we had to, to look at this and, you know, maybe do this all, all, all at that time. But there's a couple of things we looked at. One was, you know, the groups probably were making a lot of decisions up here. We had large staffs. We had all of the trappings, you know, you'd have of a, of, of a group. And there was a bit of a force down to the businesses. And then everybody in the businesses reported up through all these different channels. And I, I think what happened there was we probably lost a little bit of fidelity on our decision making. I mean, I don't want to criticize anyone else. I can just tell you for me, I probably won't make the best decision for neuromodulation or the best decision for neurovascular or the best decision for pelvic health or cranial spinal or ENT. Uh, we almost looked at it more you know, like a private equity. Uh, would look at it. Hmm. Let's look at this from what are the the business units that we can break down? What are the smallest units that we can break down? And, you know, they average about a billion dollars a piece. Some of them are bigger than that. Uh, let's get them at the level of where the customer is. So we understand the customer and let's put someone in charge that understands that market. And we give them a framework to work in. Here's your, here's your revenue. Here's your operating margin that you have to deliver. Here's some free cash flow and, and go to town. You know, and you make mm -hmm. the decisions within that framework to meet the demands of your customers, to delight them, to engage your employees. And if we do those things well, the lagging indicator will be our shareholders will like it. 
but you put them in charge and able to do it. My role then goes down to a couple of different things. One, pick really good people that are going to be great operating unit presidents. You know, find people that are comfortable in that role that will take the accountability, that will work within the framework and pull the levers they need to to make investments here, to stop investment over here, to choose that market. That's that's one way to do it. The other thing is on the talent side that we mentioned that, and then on the capital allocation. You know, what are the markets that we could invest more in? that mm-hmm. Medtronic could apply its large resources that allow us to grow faster. And what we employ there is really a capital allocation strategy where we look at, you know, what are the strategic bets all the way down to, you know, the core growth, the maintain, and maybe the manage differently businesses, you know, the businesses that may not quite, you know, if we invested more, they might do something, or if we decided if we're the best owner of those. Mm-hmm. And so looking at those roles, um, that, was a big change for Medtronic because now, you know, I've got the the head of pelvic health is basically running that business and they're playing just like a pure play company. They have full P&L responsibility. They mm-hmm. make all the decisions on, you know, their sales force, their headcount, the, the people that are in there, the market choice, the technologies they go after, uh, but they make those decisions. And, and you know, their, their P&L is uh, of a size that if they were an independent company, they'd be making those same sets of choices. And, uh, and, and that step, along with the accountability for, for your numbers and running the business, uh, that's a change. And I'm not saying it happens overnight, Tom. You don't snap your fingers and it happens overnight. But as we start holding people accountable to those metrics, share being one of them, you know, growing, growing your business, mm-hmm. we start building, I think, a muscle there that uh, I, I think Medtronic could use. Is anything lost in, in, in that exchange? Are you swapping essentially sort of an innovation, independent spirit, but taking away perhaps the strength that comes with being Medtronic, with having the resources, with having the yeah. ability to kind of roll through barriers easily, more easily than others might? Is there an exchange or, or can you have both? I, I think you can have both and you'll probably, and we're going to learn along the way because it, let's give some examples of playing big. You know, I don't really want the OU presidents, you know, negotiating a new employee benefits package. <laughs> you know, we're going to do that all day long at the corporate level, mm-hmm. and everyone's fine with that. We're going to deliver that to you. <laughs> I'm here today by uh, by by Minneapolis St. Paul Airport at a oh. hotel here. I just had a had a meeting, <laughs> and you know, yeah, we're not going to negotiate every OU with Delta. You know, we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna have the corporations going to negotiate with Delta, and we'll get the best price for that. But similarly, on the customer side, you know, we also have, you know, regional cuts. So our Americas group, if they're dealing with a large hospital organization, they're not going to go around every 20 OU. What they'll do is they'll negotiate the plan and then the, the OUs will have to accept that. You know, that's that's one of the trade-offs that we made. But I think that probably works okay because it allows them to move quickly and decisively, you know, where we need to. And at the same time, we benefit from that as a company when we start, you know, thinking about the broad scale of Medtronic, you know, across some of these large IDNs and hospital systems, you know, where we can actually be beneficial. At the same time, it allows our teams to focus on delivering the right technology to the marketplace, having the right sales forces doing the right things, and, and frankly, holding the development teams, the, the product, the selling teams, the marketing teams accountable for that. And and I think, Tom, where we're going to get there, I, I think these are going to be the 20 best jobs in MedTech. Mm-hmm. you're working for the MedTech leader, you get your full P&L responsibility to actually go 
you know, manage it and do what it is that you want to do and operate that business and choose those markets. I mean, that's exciting. I can tell you when I was had my first GM job, if an opportunity like that would have come up, I'd be I'd be all over that. I think the other thing that's interesting to me is most companies go internal for the CEO search. If I was an operating unit president today, I'd, I'd be thinking, I've got a shot at being CEO here at Medtronic. Mm-hmm. And if that's something you want to do, perfect role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, perfect role to, to go out and do that. So I, I think you know we're going to learn a lot. It's not going to be perfect. We're going to make some mistakes, but we're going to learn from those and we're going to adjust and fix it. But I do think that this is exactly what we need to do on the operating model to actually make us more competitive, to make us more, uh, uh, you know, I, I, people that know me know I'm extremely competitive. I love winning. Like I, I but, but you know what? I hate losing more. And <laughs> I, I think, uh, and I think this organization, the way it's structured today is, is set up to go do that. And I, I think as this develops in the next couple of years, it's going to be a pretty formidable group. And I'm excited about that. I know you're a fan of of, of acting boldly and, and you want people to be sure. uncomfortable so they're moving forward. But but how in creating these these separate business units where there is greater accountability and greater risk, and I think that yeah. I, I do think that's all good. How do you still encourage people to take a chance where if the chance they take doesn't work out, the consequences yeah. might be might be a lot harder to take than if you were just part of a larger number where those things can be can be countered. I don't want to say covered up, but there's, there's other assets that, that would, that would make up for it. Yeah. That's, that, that's the ideal question, but, but I, I'm a big believer that if you don't allow people to take those opportunities, your growth is actually going to be slower, mm-hmm. even with the ultimate failures that you're going to have. And so I think, I think what you have to do is allow people to take those uh, shots. If we fail because we made the wrong decision or it didn't work out, we'll survive that and we'll learn something from it and we'll do something different on, on the next time. But I think the biggest killer for large companies is not taking those opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, trying to protect something that you've kept for a long time and not you know going after that new opportunity that's really exciting and, and and really thrilling. I think that's where the most damage comes from and the lack of growth you know comes from. So I'm willing to take that calculus and 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 make that exception. And then when somebody makes a mistake, simple rules, right? As long as Look, we had good information. We had uh, maybe some assumptions that didn't play out, but we executed well. We operated compliantly. We followed the law. We did all those things. Okay, it didn't work out. Now mm-hmm. let's learn from that. We won't make that same mistake again. Now let's go target the next thing that we need to go do and, and go do that. You have to make it safe for that. And you have to give people the freedom to uh, to make a mistake if it doesn't work out. And that Know that their career's not over and they're going to you know, move on to do that. And look, I can tell you, I've worked for this company for a while. I've worked for Jeff for a while. I've made a couple of doozies. You know, mm-hmm. I've had a, I've had a, I've had a couple of things that didn't work out. Now, luckily, we've had things that have worked out well, but I don't think we'd get the things that worked out well if we hadn't have made some of the mistakes. When you accept that, you got to kind of accept it all. You know, that I'm going to get a like a private equity. I'm going to get a basket of opportunities here, and some of them are going to work out really well. Some of them probably will fail, and some of them will be you know, kind of in the middle somewhere. I think that's okay. Sure. In, in mistakes and in, in med tech, and if you want to speak specifically to yours, is it principally a, a technology thing, an execution thing? What, what have you found to be the most vexing thing to overcome in this industry? I think the biggest challenge for established uh, companies, particularly when you've established a technology, when you see a shift coming in that business, sometimes the biggest, most hard thing for a company to do and an individual to do is to say, I've got to reinvent myself. 
I, I can't fall tr- prey to the invent, you know, the innovator's dilemma. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to figure out how to manage my current business and I might not be able to grow it, but I've got to invest in this other area over here because it's going to allow for dramatic growth. You know, once I get that done, that transit transition fails to happen a lot of times for a lot of reasons. I think mm-hmm. sometimes people are afraid of, well, what happens if, you know, I go flat for a year or, you know, I, I have a gap, what happens with that? And I think we have to do a better job with our teams too, of always countering that question to say, what happens if you don't do it? Play out the other side, play out the other side that you kind of just keep investing in your current business. You know, you end up growing a bit, growing a bit, growing a bit, but this other technology comes and eventually takes half your market away from you. You know, mm-hmm. what does what that world look like? And I think when we understand that, and then we provide opportunities, you know, across the capital allocation of the portfolio for us to take those opportunities, you know, and probably for me going to other parts of the business where I know they're stronger and saying, okay, you're going to have to come up here a little bit because we're going to invest, you know, in this other place. That's where I can help, mm-hmm. you know, to go do that. But we have to encourage people to take those shots. I think the other thing as we look at, you know, when you're a GM or uh, you move from a general manager to an operating unit president, time and grade in those roles is also important. We were talking the other day at XCOM, uh, our executive committee, and a number of us that are in these portfolio roles, we were general managers for five years, seven years, you know, eight or nine Mm -hmm. years. And what happens with that, you know, the value of that, instead of moving every two years, the value of that is you get to uh, live through market cycles. And you get to live with your own decisions, mm-hmm. good and bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, and you get to you get to kind of see those come through on one side or the other, and that's a really valuable experience because there's opportunities that I've missed that I had to live through that I wish I would have taken, but you know, for whatever reason, I didn't do it. Uh, there's things I've done well that you know I got to see the benefit of that, and then I've lived through some market cycles where something happened in the marketplace that was beyond our control. And we had to respond to it. And I've had both good and bad experiences there, you know, where something happened in the market that was great and we kind of got a windfall. Mm-hmm. And then something happened in the market that it wasn't great and we had to manage through it. And you go through that and that, you know, let's say it's a five-year window. You get to experience a lot of that stuff in five years. You take those experiences into the operating unit president role. And uh, when you're making all those decisions and many of these jobs, you have GMs reporting into you so you can be a good coach and mentor and, and, and help develop them. And then also you're, you become, I think, a lot more sensitized to the challenges of those particular jobs and, and, you know, and how hard they can be, but also how rewarding they can be. So that's, that's kind of what's exciting to me is, you know, building the skill set and, 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 and just, and, 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 and frankly, respecting it because, I mean, as I said, these are some of the top, I think they are the top 20 jobs at MedTech. And, and so you get that role and uh, it, it, boy, that's an exciting job. What, what lessons or experiences are you taking away from, from neuroscience? You, you mentioned the, the, the success you had there. In your new role now, what sort of stories or examples or lessons might you take from where you'd spent the last five to seven years? Well, I, I think I draw on a couple of things. Uh, you know, one one of the things that uh, I think we, we we're, we've always been good at is developing markets and, and 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 going out and doing this. I think one of the other areas that we've been challenged on sometimes is defending those when you have competition come in. So I, I think 
one of the things you'll see in our Medtronic mindset is about competing to win, you know, mm-hmm. make, be, be more competitive. And, and I think that's just a discipline that we have to continue to focus on and, and to work on. So I'm, I'm highly interested in how we make those decisions, how you know, our teams kind of take on competition in the marketplace and how, and how we think about that. And I think we are going to see a more competitive Medtronic. That's, that's something that's on my mind a lot. I think the other thing is the decisions we make or don't make. What we choose not to do is probably more important almost in some ways than what we choose to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to denigrate what we choose to do, but the issue is, is we have, there's an old saying, you know, I think at Medtronic, we can do anything we want. We can't do everything. Mm-hmm. And I think the trap is, is I'm going to try to do every cover, every base or parry, every punch, you know, that I'm going to see in the marketplace. When I think we have to make those decisions of saying, look, some markets we're going to, you know, we're going to maintain with our existing product set. Some markets we may not choose to compete in, but the markets we choose to compete in, we're going to choose them because they're strategically important. They have high growth. We can make a difference. We can actually be probably the best uh, group of people to go in and, and, and make that change. We're going to invest heavily there. We're going to drive a lot of growth and a lot of great things for patients and people and and, and, and go do that. And making those decisions early is really important. Mm-hmm. And continuing to create the environment for the teams where they can make those decisions early because you know, Tom, one of the hardest things is to, you know, see a threat coming at you or an opportunity. Sometimes they're the same thing. You know, <laughs> you know people, people mistake them, you know, but sometimes they're exactly the same thing. And, you know, you sometimes you got to get in the mud puddle and you just got to get dirty. You know what I mean? You got to you got to just experience like, OK, how bad is this going to be if we don't do it? And sometimes there's a, you know, I've seen a tendency to, oh, okay, I don't want to talk about that right now. It's mm-hmm. three years from now and I'm, I'm busy. And no, no, we need to talk about it because, you know, in our field and the work that we do with a, you know, a regulated industry, it's going to take us three years to get there. So we've got to decide now what we're going to do. And that means whatever we decide to do now, we probably have to make some trade offs of what we think we're going to do today in order to invest for that future. But I try to paint that picture. I try to ask people to to live with that, to be in the middle of that, to experience it, and then to really talk about it. And usually once you do it, it's a little less, you know, traumatic mm-hmm. <laughs> than you think it might be. Sure. And uh, what you're what you're able to do then I think is make some really good decisions and then you face the trade-offs. And and the benefit that comes from that, I always tell people this. The benefit that comes from that is once you make that decision, then as hard as it might be to, you know, maybe stop doing this and do a lot more of this, then you can actually get your team very focused. Everyone's happier, actually, because they know what they're supposed to do. They know their role. You know, they're, they're, they're off on the journey. It, it ends up being a lot better decision, you know, for the long haul. Those are the experiences that will draw from. And, and I think lastly, what I've been really humbled by in this space are the patients. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when we did the stroke trials, they were randomized prospective trials. But what we've learned now is some people didn't do very well, you know, in the control arm that could have benefited from the therapies and the technology. So you always have to have the respect mm-hmm. for why we're doing it, who we're doing it for. And frankly, the sacrifices that a lot of people have made in order for, you know, these therapies or these miracles or these things to come true. And, you know, we got to keep that level of respect and understanding and, and, and conscious kind of caring for uh, the patients and the people that are going to benefit from this. And if you lose that, then I think you're, 
you know, I talk a lot about competition and growth and all that stuff. And I love all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, it comes down to those individual people and what we're doing for them. And that's the part that we have to maintain and keep us to be motivated to do what we need to do. I think that's the the difference between uh, between med tech and, and selling a soft drink or something. I think you're right. I think yeah. take take it back to there. That's that's what sums up uh, what makes this industry special. So that's it. Great conversation, Brett. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Good seeing you again. Thank you. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thanks again to Brett Wall, our guest. And thanks again to our sponsor, Champer. Appreciate your being part of this podcast. If you would, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future podcasts. You can find these podcast episodes on all major podcast channels, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google. We are out there. You can also find episodes of this podcast and our Device Talks weekly podcast at devicetalks.com. You can find the Device Talks Weekly Podcast on those podcast channels as well. While you're on devicetalks.com, you can check out our Device Talks Tuesdays program and our upcoming schedule of Device Talks in-person events, which will be rolling out in 2022. Very excited to uh, be bringing the energy and insights from these podcasts out onto the road again. So again, go to devicetalks.com to find episodes of the Medtronic Talks podcast, Device Talks Weekly podcast, Device Talks Tuesdays, and our Device Talks meetings. Please do consider sharing this episode on your social media channels, and please do connect with me on social media. I am on Twitter, at MedTechTom, and I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L, E-M-I. Be great to be part of your med tech conversation. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you.